this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon from yesterday, January 21. It's entitled, Are We the Church? You'll hear the gospel reading from the end of Matthew, the Go and Make Disciples passage. It's also equally drawn from the Pentecost story in Acts 2. Yes, I know it's not anywhere near Pentecost yet, but it fit. Please remain standing for the reading of the Gospel, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew in the 28th chapter, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When you become the pastor of a church... One of the very first things you realize is how very little you know. How very little you know about the church, about God, about people, about just anything at all. You get really, really stupid. (laughs) Suddenly you're there, put in a congregation to lead and to serve and to help them be the church. Well, what does that mean exactly? Church can be a very different experience from place to place even within the same town, even within the same denomination? Does it mean adopting a certain style of worship? Does it mean having certain programs? Showing up on Sunday, what does it mean to be the church? There are actually two questions that I think we can ask of the Bible, and the two scripture readings we had this morning address each of them. The first is, what did Jesus intend for the church to be and do? And the second is, how did at least the first Christians actually do that? The answer to the first question about what did Jesus intend for the church to be and do, to me, is as plain as the nose on your face. And the United Methodist Church has codified it into the Book of Discipline. It can be found in the passage that I just read at the end of Matthew's Gospel, the last words that Jesus speaks to the disciples before his ascension. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. If you ask me, there's no church of any denomination that needs to spend time writing a mission statement, because it's the same for every church across the globe. Make, train, deploy disciples. That's the purpose and the mission of the church, not just this local church, the church, capital C. Now, there are as many ways to go about that as there are churches, but the core process of the church is the same in every place and in every denomination. If disciples aren't being made, trained, and deployed, you might have a great, wonderful, caring organization, but you haven't got a church. Now, the second question, how did the first Christians actually go about that, is a bit harder to get at, because we don't have a lot of records from the first century church, and the ones we do have are pretty sketchy at best. 
Remember, during much of that period, Christians were being actively persecuted. So you don't find a lot of published tracts about where they met and what they did and what that worship looked like. But we do know that there was a church of some sort and that people were willing to die rather than to give it up. A man I met online named Ben Sweat began a group called First Century Christians down in Maryland, and he put the question this way. What kind of church meeting would bring me out at night if the government was trying to kill me? Today we can't even get people to church if it rains. What was it? What was there in those early Christian meetings that we don't have? What did they do that we don't do? And what do we have that they never heard of? What has been added and what has been lost, he asks. The answer to those questions, I think, is the answer that will revive the church. We won't revive it simply by going back to the old hymns or by finding the right new ones. We won't revive it by playing the organ more or by cranking up the volume of a band. We won't revive it by making it quiet in the sanctuary or by standing on the pews and shouting out our prayers. We won't revive it by reciting the right creed or by eliminating all ritual. We will revive it when we can answer for ourselves, what kind of church meeting would bring me out at night if the government was trying to kill me? And adjusting our lives accordingly. The more I've thought and prayed and studied about that question, the more nervous I've gotten. When John Wesley finally figured out what the church was, they kicked him out, and his real ministry began as he preached in the fields and the streets of England. He was one of the lucky ones. Across history, when people have figured out the answer to that question, often they were burned at the stake. When I pray and seek answers, what I hear tend to be things that would disturb the system, and I find myself saying things like, God, can't you be just a bit more orthodox so I won't have to get in trouble? Can't you be a bit more traditional so people won't get mad at me? Can't you at least fit it into 60 minutes? But God remains steadfast. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And so I invite you to turn to the most radical book of the Bible, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is one of the few sketchy sources that we have about how the very first Christians set out to be church. And for this morning, I want to point you to a few verses from Acts 2, some of which Kathy read for us this morning. Earlier in the chapter, the Holy Spirit came down on the disciples who were gathered in Jerusalem with thousands of others for the Jewish feast of Pentecost. The Spirit came, we're told, like a rushing wind with fire, and the disciples started talking in languages that they'd never learned, but that were native to those who were listening. God showed up, and the group became so rowdy that people said they were drunk. Nobody really knew what was happening, or how, or why, but the disciples knew that the power of God was behind it all. So Peter stood up to preach. And at least 3,000 people decided to become disciples of the risen Jesus that day. We call it the birthday of the church, Pentecost, which means that the earliest example of a church service we have is a rowdy bunch of disciples who were doing such strange things that people looking on thought they were drunk. So that's one example of church. 
The very next thing we hear in Acts is how those thousands of new Christians behaved in the days and the weeks and the months that followed, how they ordered themselves, how they lived together, and what was important to them. As I looked at this passage over the past week, I found it hard to get past the first part of the first verse. They devoted themselves. By conscious choice, they gave over their devotion. They made a commitment. Devotion was the foundation of the earliest church. Devotion's a strong word. It isn't, you know, I think I might like to, or if nothing else better happens, I think I'll, or if it won't cause me trouble, then I will. Devotion is simply, I will, no matter what. Devotion is what parents are supposed to have to their children and married people for their spouses. Devotion is for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. I will. Devotion is a commitment that's made in response to love. The very first Christians, we're told, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. It wasn't that they invented a meeting that was so compelling people would come out at the risk of their own lives. The first Christians weren't devoted to an organization or to a style of worship. They were devoted to Jesus, to each other, and to the message that they were called to proclaim. It was a mission for which they would risk their lives. Do we have that kind of devotion? I'm not just talking about whether we're devoted enough to show up on a Sunday. Devotion to God is not about one hour on Sunday, although it certainly can be reflected there. It's about how we live every minute of all of our lives, and it's a conscious decision that we make. Listen to what the devotion of those first Christians looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All the believers were gathered together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church was born as a response. God shows up in the love of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, and thousands returned that love. But they weren't fickle or naive lovers. They realized that love is sustained in committed action, and they made a conscious decision to devote themselves to practices that would enrich their relationship with God and their relationships with each other giving them the strength to fulfill their mission of making disciples and making the kingdom of earth as much like the kingdom of heaven as they could. They became disciples, learners, ones who intentionally study and grow and pray. To say they were disciples doesn't mean to say they were perfect. It means they made a conscious decision to grow and to learn how to become more like Jesus. As a result, their lives are reoriented. Whatever they might have done before, now they meet together every single day. They sell their possessions. 
those things don't matter anymore. What does matter are the people who don't have what they need just to get by. They share meals with each other. They provide for the poor. They are sincere and so eager to invite others to the relationship that more disciples are added to their number every single day. They are devoted. Whatever else it might mean to be the church, I think it first means to make a decision to be devoted. Not to this local church, not to the United Methodist Church, but to Jesus. And like the early church, the decision doesn't come out of the blue. It's a response. It's a response to what Jesus has already done for us. That's what Peter explained when he got up and preached that sermon. That's why I'm up here again and again telling the old, old story. Not so you can guess the Bible category on Jeopardy but so that you can realize that the same Jesus who lived and died 2,000 years ago is alive and shows up here every single Sunday just because he loves you. Making the decision to be devoted to the God revealed in Jesus will bring you a life that you never knew was possible. It's not a life without problems or even tragedy, but one where your heart can sing even in the midst of the trial a life so entwined with the life of God that you absolutely know it will never end, even if you go through physical death, a life so filled with love that you'll be driven to seek out more, even if it means selling all you have and giving to the poor, even if it means going out at night when the government is trying to kill you. The wonder is that that life is available for free, but it is a life that we have to consciously choose for ourselves. Some of you may have already made that decision. Some may still be investigating. But there may be some who've dabbled in faith long enough now and are ready to really be devoted to God, to be committed to learning how to live life as Jesus taught. If that's you, I invite you to make that commitment to God in your heart today, this week, soon. It doesn't matter how it happens. But until it happens, your life will be the same old rat race, and church will be the same old wrangling over this creed and that hymn and who gets credit for what. It can be different. It should be different. But it has to start with a decision and a commitment that we make in our lives for our community, for our Lord. We are the church, or at least we say we are. Is it true? Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walker Sermons. If you're ever in the area, stop in for worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 10 Church Street in Westford, Massachusetts. Love to have you stop by my website at www.annrobertson.com, where you can also subscribe to a weekly devotion, which you can receive either as an email or a podcast. I'd love to hear from you via email at ann at Thanks again for subscribing, and I hope your week is filled with God's blessings.